0: This is a podcast by One Life Christian Church in Baldwin, New York. We pray that the following podcast would encourage you, build you up in the gospel, and lead you closer to Jesus. We remind you that these are simply tools to help you on your walk and ask that you still look for a local church to attend and serve in. Welcome to the living room. love me right okay all right Listen. I um, some of you got a little frown on your face um, and that's okay I think I, I want to remind you that the the role of the pastor and the shepherds of the house and senior leadership is to teach us how to walk with God right and so in that teaching for those of us who are parents in that teaching there are times where you have to do one of these right Right? I know some of you are a little iffy about that, right? Some of us like timeouts. Let me just stop there. Let's just say I didn't do many timeouts when I was growing up. But I'm so grateful for my parents who uh, believed heavily in making sure that we knew the right from the wrong. And so, even for us, for those of us perhaps we're new in the faith, so we just think that this is maybe a speech. This is not a speech. What I am going to share with you is not a TED Talk. My brother texted me this week. He says, he sends me that emoji, the, this one, right? The, the pensive emoji. And he says, TED Talks are just sermons for the world. But if somebody invited you to a TED Talk that was down your alley, you would sit there for an hour and a half and take notes. So if you're not used to sermons, let's call today a TED Talk. But it's way more valuable than a TED Talk. Let's talk about the situation of man. If you'll open up your Bibles really quickly with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And in my notes here, while you look for that, we're going to be in verse 9, and we're going to read from 9 to 19. I want to thank our women of the house for volunteering and for coming out yesterday. This room was filled. It looked nothing like it looks now. It was such an awesome event, amen. I know that Janelle is in the back with her team, but when you get a chance, if you'll just tell her thank you, if you were here uh, as part of this event. And uh, for our men also, which I know Rob mentioned already, but they, I have pictures, and they were in the back washing dishes, so if they don't wash dishes at home, you know, I have proof that they can wash dishes. So, uh, just thank you all. And Maria, I don't think she's here today, but uh, Maria Solorsano, who um, was also helping us with decorations and stuff. So, thank you so much. Let's read Romans chapter three, verse nine to nineteen, and it says, "What then are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written." and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Let me start, this is not on my notes, but let me start from the back. And and, kind of come forward. Can you bring down the uh, gain a little bit, please? Thank you. I heard we have somebody in the house who knows sound. And uh, I just want to thank the Lord for provision. I see you, man. Your wife's gossiping behind your back. Um, Okay. That last verse. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. I want to start there because there are those of us who have come to believe that the way that we are justified and made good are by the accomplishment or fulfillment of laws. And what Paul teaches us in the book of Romans is that the purpose of the law wasn't just to give people direction because ultimately God knew that he would satisfy everything that wasn't being done Or accomplished through the law. The purpose of the law was for us to realize how sinful we were. Look at the end of that line there. The very end of what we read. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So here is this Mosaic law that we are being asked to satisfy every single one of them. Not us, but the Jew. Asked to satisfy every single one of these laws... But there were so many of these laws that it was hard to keep up with some of them. So yes, you probably and especially if we see in orthodoxy today, there is this. Am I off? Can you guys me? I'm so sorry. I don't have the mic up here. Yes, bring that to me. Thank you so much. That was working today? Like you have no idea. But we'll be okay. All right. Let's go. Let's preach this word. The devil is mad, but we're gonna fight back. Especially in orthodoxy, the purpose of the law was to make sure that these people were self-qualified by accomplishing and fulfilling this law. So Paul is telling us, "No, listen. Does that mean that the law is bad? No. This is." Not what the Bible is saying. It is not saying that the Ten Commandments and the remainder of the Mosaic Law was bad. No. But God used it as a tool to show us that there was something inside of us that was so wretched that you could give us a list of three things to do and somehow we would find a way to still mess it up. So previously in Romans chapter 3, he's trying to prove the point, And in Romans 2 as well, he's trying to prove the point that all of us are wretched, so he begins in Romans 3, verse 9. He says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Today, as we roll out into this Easter season here at One Life, Easter is a great time of celebration for the Christian church globally. For all of those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior who died and rose again. It's a time when we remember the great and ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. It's a time when we recall the grand conquest over death that Jesus won, and we also rejoice in that he not only died, but rose once more to be seated at the right hand of the Father. Did you know that this is what we celebrate in Easter? It's okay if some of you didn't know this. Easter is not about bunnies It's not about eggs. It's about Jesus. And every Sunday should be Resurrection Sunday. And for those of us who stand up here and we preach Christ crucified, every single week is of the same importance. Every week, the same urgency. But I find that the glory of the resurrection story is made more beautiful when we acknowledge the why Jesus had to come. So Easter is the what he did, to be made man and dwell among us, to be nailed to a cross to die, and to be raised to life on that resurrection Sunday. But have you asked yourself, why? Why did he have to do this? And the why we see here throughout the book of Romans or the letter that the apostle writes to the Romans, what we know as the book of Romans is actually one very long letter that Paul writes to the church in Rome. And he instructs a woman by the name of Phoebe, Phoebe to deliver this letter to the Romans. So he's in Greece writing this very long letter, and he charges a woman to... I'm saying woman for a very specific reason, right? He charges a woman to be the porter of his word to go from Greece to the church in Rome. This is a fairly new church, but they're experiencing so much, and he has a lot to celebrate in the Roman church, but there are corrections and exhortations, similarly to how I just started, exhortations that he has for this church. But this text that we're reading today is part of this portion or a portion of this letter where Paul speaks about the condition of man to the church. As I mentioned before previously in the beginning of chapter 3, Paul doubles down on the fact that both Jew and Gentile are guilty before God. And so there's two distinctions there, right? There's the Jew, who we know even today, the Jew, and then the Gentile is literally everyone else, okay? So don't feel left out because you don't hear Dominican, Puerto Rican, Trinidadian, Jamaican, right? Um, Gentile is anyone who is not Jewish. So he doubles down and says that both Jew and Gentile are guilty before God. Remember that. And Paul is saying this once more in verse 9. I'll read it again. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. And I'll remind us of these two things Jesus loves the Jews. And Paul himself was a Jewish man who had an encounter with Jesus on that Damascus road, had his life and his heart transformed regarding Jesus who came to be the deliverer. So Paul's words are not counter-Jewish. Please don't receive it in that way. They're not counter the Hebrew culture. He celebrates them, but he is saying that we shouldn't error in thinking that there are those who are free of sin. And friends, that goes for us as well. Just because we're sitting in this room and just because we come week after week and maybe because you read your Bible every day and you are in your word every day and you know that you don't error, you are still guilty of sin. Because before a God who is actually good and everything about him is good, In our best situation, on the best day of our lives, we are filthy with sin. Anybody offended? Filthy with sin. Because there are so many things that we don't even consider sin about ourselves. We just think that, you know what, that's a space of growth. Well, that space of growth right now is sin before a God that is good all the time. Every moment of every day. All of humanity is guilty of sin. And this happened because of Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 to 7, it says, And the Lord commanded God, I'm sorry, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you surely will die. Or you shall surely die. And in the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, we see that the crafty serpent comes to Eve and convinces her, convinces her first to eat the fruit. Because if she eats the fruit, her eyes would be opened, and the serpent, who was the devil, right? In the form of a serpent, came to distract her. From what she knew she had to do. And if you read Genesis chapter 3, you actually read that she says to the serpent, God said we could eat of any tree here except that one. Isn't that like humanity though? You can make any woman in this world your wife. If she'll say yes, of course. (laughs) But that is your one wife. But in our flesh, or your one husband... Because we know the woman at the well, right? She had five husbands. It's just the reality of man that God gives us these parameters, but something inside of us is always looking to break away from the limitations that God places for us. He tells us to rest, and we say we need to work more. He tells us to work more, and we say we're tired. He tells us to behave, but God, you made me a rebel. Each one of us is woven in a very specific and beautiful way. But have you noticed that when you feel God pressuring you into doing something, your almost immediate response is, I can't do that. I need you to go and preach the gospel in every city on Long Island. God, I can't can't do that who am I? I need you. And anything that he asks us to do, it's almost like our initial response is a response or a posture of disobedience. And we see this here. We suffer today in the flesh and we're surrounded by evil because of a decision that a man and a woman made in the very beginning of time. And the serpent was right when he says to the woman, that if she eats, her eyes would be open. Disobeying God would open up the eyes of Adam and Eve to their nakedness before God. When you read in Genesis chapter 3, right after they eat of this forbidden fruit, they know they're naked. So they take fig leaves and they tie them and they start covering up their bodies. So the first thing they did was tie up, like I said, these fig leaves They cover themselves, and doesn't that sound familiar to us today that when we sin and we know that we stand guilty, we know for sure that we're standing guilty before God, our initial reaction is to run away from God and hide. There's something that I've realized in this house because we've baptized for a fairly small church community. We've baptized a lot in the last two years. And I find, and one of the statistics for baptism is that about 50% of the people who get baptized leave the church. I mean, it's, it's not our job to qualify people, friends. It's not our job to say there's something inside of you that keeps you right now from getting into these waters. No, because we're, our hope is that the Holy Spirit is doing the transformative work in you. If you make the bold decision to come into these waters, is because you have been moved by the Holy Spirit. That's the hope that we as ministers have. There are exceptions, of course there are, but that is our hope. But what I find is that when we go into these waters, we're learning that once people come out, I think they expect this like, like oh, I'm changed forever. Wait, friends, this, this is just water. This is, this is your obedience. This is water not to cleanse you in your heart. The Holy Spirit has to do that. And you have to be willing to let him. And it always hurts, let me tell you. That's a shower that will always burn. But the minute we make mistakes after we've had this very powerful and even emotional experience with God, we feel that unworthiness again. And instead of running back to the Father and crawling to his feet and saying, God, forgive me, it's easier to run away so there are people who you've seen come into these waters that you haven't seen in the church and people that we've seen time after time who play with God and that playing with God looks like I'm only going to come to you when I need you and the minute you make things right or the minute I error I run away So this is what Adam and Eve are feeling. They feel this nakedness about them so they immediately cover themselves so that they don't feel that shame before God. Because of the original sin of Adam and Eve is why today we are assured that no one is good. Let's go back to Romans 3, verse 10 to 12. It says, as it is written, Paul says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. For those of you who think that the Bible is just filled with things that make you feel good, remember Romans chapter 3, verse 10 to 12. None is righteous, no, not one. Do we remember who else said words like these? Yes. Our Lord Jesus said similar words to the man who called him good teacher in the Gospels. He asked Jesus, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' reply is, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And we can find this in Mark chapter 10, verse 18. So Jesus himself, who is God in the flesh, says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. In Romans chapter 3, verse 13 to 14, then it says, their throat is an open grave. He's kind of backing up what he says in verses 10 to 12 by explaining what he means. He says, "There, which is ours, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. So Paul uses these very similar words. That we also read in Psalm chapter 5 verse 9 to speak about how man's throat is an open grave. And in in Psalm 5 verse 9 it says, For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. That means that they can say things that are filled with beauty and they can sound convincing. But the truth is that what they're speaking is not life. It is death. And for us to be able to receive that, friends, is a very important thing that we get by way of the Holy Spirit. Discernment. Just because people stand at pulpits with Bibles in their hand does not mean that they are speaking life. They could be speaking death. Because we also see that in scripture. Look at what David says. He says, their inmost self, the innermost of them, the very inside of them is destruction. Now I ask you to consider that. On your best day, can you not look at the depth inside of you and still see the broken areas? So though on the outside you might look and sound alive, do you see that what God cares about is what is dying on the inside? Or like Christy said yesterday, that messiness on the inside. See, God can see the messiness. He knows that the way that you clean your house is by shoving all your junk into the junk drawer. What does the junk drawer of your life look like? What does the junk closet of your heart look like? Where when he opens up the door, you notice that when you open that door up, it's just like. <sighs> and that's what we do, right? We just We have that closet in my house. This morning I went to close it. I was like, whatever's in there, it'll be in there. The vacuum, you know, like the tents from last summer, like stuff that we don't need. And the same thing happens with those spaces of destruction in our heart. Because they don't affect us today, we just put it in the closet for next week. And when I deal with it, but the problem is that there's a springboard behind that door when you do open it. And when you finally make the decision to say, Lord, I've realized that I am not good. And in those spaces of my life where I am not good, I want to open up that door and have you help me sort this out. Because that's all your closet needs in your house. For you to open it and for you to sort through. There's garbage in there. I'm talking about your real closet. There's garbage in your closet. You got to throw it out. There's junk in there, but there are also things. Have you noticed also in that same closet when you finally do end up cleaning it, you're like, wait, I've been looking for this hat, I've been looking for this bag. There are beautiful things that are hiding in those destructive spaces of our hearts that if only we would sort through the mess, we would find those beautiful things again. That joy that you lost, for those of you who have been Christians your whole life, you remember perhaps that there was a season when you were in love with the Lord, but you started putting stuff in your closet. All of a sudden, Jesus just became a Sunday thing. Uh, Friends, I struggle with that because if I wasn't pastoring you, I would still be on my hands and knees crying. Because, yes, this is difficult, but what's more difficult is when I stand before the Lord and realize how wretched I am. But do you understand that when you realize how wretched you are, that's when God is like, oh, I can use this. Christians, we're so unforgiving. And sometimes when we read this book, we don't realize that he used wretched men and wretched women to change the world. Nothing you have done in your past can disqualify you from God's work. Nothing you've done before Jesus can keep you from his love. And you struggle still day after day and you say, God, I'm not good enough for your love. You don't have to be. He's good for you. But resurrection doesn't make sense if you don't realize how broken you are. And the worst people are the ones who say, no, I'm fine. It's called salvation for a reason. We said this a couple of weeks ago, right? That means that you were dying Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The same letter that he's writing to the same people, he's talking to them. He's saying the situation of man is this, that we are guilty of sin. And what a sin produce for us? Only death. Okay. So this is where the power of Easter lies. Can we bring up that first slide? We know that man, right, and sin, nope. There we go. Man and sin provides for us death. Next one, please. We know that man and sin is now, you know this now, right? You're leaving here knowing what the situation of man is. The situation of man is that we are Guilty of sin. Okay. In that death, you can press the next one, Amante. In this death, someone has to die. For death, that means, right, because God is not going to go against what he's already established, which is that the wages of sin is death. We've established that the situation that we have is that we are all guilty of sin. So what does that mean? Someone has to die. Are we getting this? Okay. Next. What we know then is that what? We know that God loves us. Next. And in his love for us, what does he give to us? Okay. In giving us Jesus then, remember, this death hasn't gone away yet. That death is still present. He gives us Jesus and then for what, Amante? Amante. For, he gives us Jesus, and his expression of love for us is his death. For what? For us not to die. This is what we celebrate. All guilty of sin, we all have to pay in death. All of us have to pay in death. But what does God do because of his tremendous love for us? He says, wait. I have an answer for that someone will die and for those of you who feel like you are just like i don't deserve you i've done too many wrong things in my life i hope this brings great joy into your heart that the person you're sitting next to you is just as guilty of sin and the person sitting next to you just like you are receiving the very same christ Here's another point of hope, and I'm done. We're not waiting for Jesus to satisfy death for our sin. Do we get that? He's already done it. He already did it. And that's what we celebrate in this season, that we recognize that, wow, God, you sent your son to die for the situation of man, for the death that we each deserved, and you did it all for love. So as we go into Palm Sunday next Sunday, and as we get ready for Resurrection Sunday, and as, I, as you make your invites, perhaps there are people in your life or even your own life that you say, listen, you need to recognize that in our wretchedness that we're all guilty of, there is a Savior. And he already did the work. We're longing for Jesus to return to take his church up with him. But the work of satisfying the debt for our sin, man, it's already paid. Am I a Bible nerd for being excited about that? Because like I've told you a hundred times, and you'll relate to this, I've done so many things to disqualify me from God's goodness and from his grace. And yet, he already died. The formula makes no sense anymore because he already died for it. And all we need to do is to recognize, and remember we learned a few weeks ago, if we would confess with our mouths in Romans, Romans chapter 9, 10, verse 9. If we would just receive him as Lord and Savior over our lives, then we too could have all of these benefits for ourselves. Can we bow our heads, please? Thank you for listening to our podcast. One Life Christian Church is located in Baldwin, New York. To find out more about the church, visit us at www.onelifeli.com.